Welcome everybody to the Extra Credit Show. I am Anselmo Moreno. And I'm Richard David. And we are back again with another podcast here to help you all get the extra credit that you deserve. And today we got a fantastic show lined up like we always do, but this one's gonna be really fun. Uh, it's about an email that my client received over the weekend. And it's one of those emails that scared the client enough to reach out to me and say, hey, I need your help because this email is really scary. Richard has a copy of the email right there in front of him, and I have a copy of the email right here in front of my tablet, and let's get to it. So this is a an email from attorney Tom Schluter, and his email is tommy at cashadvancedebtrecovery.com. And the whole basis of this email, guys, is essentially an email used to scare and intimidate our client into paying a, a cash advance debt that she may or may not have received, and the wording of this email throughout this very lengthy email is in my opinion, geared to intimidate the client into paying the debt. Almost definitely. I mean, looking at it, uh, it's formatted in a way that looks professional. Uh, but when you actually start reading it, you'll realize it's not. With some of the headlines that they're using, the first headline is Legal Department of Debt Recovery. Yep. And then it cites a police case number, uh -huh. USA-0466. What you know? And then it says, Dear Debtor, this legal proceeding will be issued in your docket number and then it lists a docket number um so it, it has all these buzzwords i think that are meant to intimidate the consumer um and then it says if you are going if you don't respond to this we're going to file a lawsuit in the next four hours at united states district court and then it lists an address of an alleged united states district court against your name and social security number um pretty scary stuff i think if you're an uninformed consumer or of a course. consumer that Maybe in the past they had a cash advance loan, right? Um, and then they're like, wait a minute, did I pay that? Did I not pay that? Is this for real? Is this not for real? Because throughout the email, they make several mentions of going to court and withholding wages and all of these scare tactics. Oh, and they actually start uh, citing, you know, what your violations are. Violations of federal banking regulation, collateral check fraud, theft by deception, electronic fund transfer fraud. I mean, there's, there's a lot of... They they this went to crazy. a lot of trouble to try to make this as scary as possible to intimidate you into paying. And this is exactly what this is. It's an intimidation tactic. And it, this is why it works uh, to the uninformed consumer, because they do a really good job of trying to scare you. I mean, this thing is ludicrous. It's so it's so crazy. I mean, we're not going to read the entire thing on the show, but I actually think we're going to put it up on our website. So if you guys want to <laughs> check it out. Go to the extracreditshow.com and, and and check it out. Um, but just to close it out, it's uh, Senior Investigation Officer John Anderson, Department of Law Enforcement, with the <laughs> Bureau of Defaulters, Agency FTC Incorporation. Just a bunch of fluff. Just absolutely a bunch of fluff. This reminds me of the telephone scam that we get a lot. You know, it's just this is just an electronic version. Have you ever had a client call you tell you that? Oh, of course. Um. It's actually quite common. Um, a collector or someone posing to be a collector will will call, you know, our client or, or whoever. They'll, they'll call a consumer and they will start threatening them with, <clears throat> if you don't uh, pay us, we're going to go ahead and we're going to serve you. You know, tell us where you live so we can serve you. And, and when my clients have received this phone call, many of them do call me scared. They, they actually have gone to the point where, should I just pay them? Can I pay them? You know, and I have to calm them down and talk them down because it's totally fraud. And normally it's low dollar amount. So it's dollar amounts that aren't 
high enough to make the consumer maybe think about it too much. Maybe it's mm -hmm. a few hundred bucks, three, four hundred bucks, where they'd rather pay mm -hmm. it and avoid this potential legal problem um, instead of actually figuring out, getting to the bottom of it and, and fighting it. And I always wonder, like, imagine those consumers that receive these calls that don't know about us or that don't know us. Um, they will probably are the ones that fall victim for this scam. And I think that we've seen an uptick in this happening with all of the data breaches that have happened. So just if we think about it and put ourselves in a position of a scammer, they've received all this spreadsheet full of names, addresses, social security numbers, and date of births. And the scam goes something like this. They call the person and they say, we're calling in regards to your old Capital One account or your old cash advance loan. And these products are so popular that there's a very good chance that the person to get on the other line has at one point in their life had a cash advance loan or a Capital One account. And then they fall victim to this scam where they're saying, we're going to serve you, we're going to you know, subpoena you, we're going to send agents to arrest you. It, it's, it's pretty troubling the buzzwords that they use to coerce a person into paying out of fear. For all you listeners that are, that are listening to our podcast today, remember, we've touched on this subject before, but if someone's going to serve you, to sue you, they're not going to notify you first. They're not going to tell you we're going to come and serve you. That defeats the entire purpose of it. Yeah. So if you if someone is calling you or someone is sending you an email telling you this, put you know it's a red flag. Think about it. It must be a scam. In in one of our early <clears throat> episodes, it was t titled "How to Deal with Debt Collectors." We really worked through what debt collectors can and can't do. These are blatant violations of the FDCPA. the The FDCPA is the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Um, we've touched on that quite a bit. But we, we didn't talk about exactly the purpose of the FDCPA, and I wanted to bring it up a little bit because th this really resonates with, with, I think, the consumers at large. Um, the FDCPA is a federal act designed to protect consumers. And really, when there's been a bunch of cases, but really the FDCPA uses what's called the least sophisticated consumer standard. Yes. And what, what that's doing is it looks at debt collectors' attempts to collect the debt, whether written or over the phone, and they're putting a test, the least sophisticated consumer test. This test is designed to say, if this can be deceptive to the least sophisticated consumer, it fails the FTCPA test. That is correct. So, so think about that, guys, because if you're listening to the podcast, chances are you're not a least sophisticated consumer. You're sophisticated enough to reach out, seek help, and try to educate yourself with regards to this stuff. But just imagine everybody else that is not listening, that is victim to this type of stuff. Um, and so when you think about this email, we looked at it and we're like, this is a joke, right? But, I thought it was great, personally. But, but, but the client was scared. Um, and anybody else that doesn't know to reach out is potentially going to be coerced or victimized into something like this, because this technically would fail the, the least sophisticated consumer standard by a mile. Oh, this is just blatant disregard of any law whatsoever. Um, and, and this standard is, has been used to nail debt collectors over and over and over again. I mean, it's a pretty neat standard. I think it's very pro-consumer. Um, and that's exactly what the FDCPA is, is a consumer-minded statute, um, you know, enabled to protect consumers from abusive and misleading collection tactics. So, And it has to be, um, you know, I, I mean... Not every collector in the world is, you know, a bad person, but many collectors do try to take advantage. You have to understand their their whole policy is to collect money from you in any way, shape or form. And if they're failing, <clears throat> they start taking more aggressive means, uh, sometimes means that they really shouldn't be taking against you. 
the the whole just least least sophisticated consumer standard is really just to clarify it a bit more it means that a debtor must be considered uninformed naive and trusting and those though that's you know that's pretty interesting that they're using that because you're like well what do they think that people are stupid but it, <laughs> it, it's not that it's just that people are not educated enough in this segment so if you're they're Imagine a young person, 21, 22, they don't really know any better. They don't teach this in schools and they're they're getting hit with this kind of stuff. Right. They're probably going to fall for it. Um, you know, I would say that more people would fall for it than people who wouldn't. Um, and that's pretty scary stuff, guys, because we see it in emails. We see it in phone calls. I mean, we've had people call and say they called my neighbor, you know, and, they, and, and that's like not only is it embarrassing because you got a debt collector calling your neighbor, but you probably don't want the call to happen again. So you're probably going to pay them just to get them to go away. And that's exactly what you shouldn't do. That's exactly what they're trying to get you to do is just pay to get them to go away. So be be a sophisticated consumer. You know, the extra credit show listener is a sophisticated consumer who's not going to fall victim to this kind of stuff. But if you want to get a kick out of this email, check go to our website theextracreditshow.com and check out uh, the, the wording that they use in this email. Just crazy, crazy stuff, man. And this stuff is going to keep keep on happening, I'm sure. It'll never stop. Um, people turn 18 every year. They they become consumers and it's fresh meat, essentially. Yeah, that's crazy when you think about it like that. I yeah, never ending supply. Like that. We've been... We've been doing this for, for 12 years now. I could just imagine how many new generations of consumers have hit the market that are susceptible to something like this. So I think that's why the myths never die. No. We, we can never kill these myths as much as we keep trying. Uh, moving on, um, we're going to move on to a big story here. Um, it's actually an old story that's been updated. No, it's not the Equifax story. It's actually what <laughs> we call um, the... the uh, it was, a, it was a lawsuit by 30 state attorney generals against the credit bureaus. Um, and it happened in 2015. They were, they were trying to get this resolution. They're very interesting. The, the credit bureaus uh, formed what's called the National Consumer Assistance Plan. And it was really, it happened in March of 2015. And it was kind of to clean up their, their data integrity efforts. Of the, course. The, the state attorney generals really nailed the credit bureaus because they had this just bad data in their database on credit reports. Um, and in a nutshell, what ended up happening is they said, we're going to remove virtually all public records from credit reports. The problem started that there was public records on credit reports that didn't have consumers date of birth and social security numbers. So we had a giant plethora of errors where people had tax liens on their credit reports that didn't belong to them. They had judgments on their credit reports that didn't belong to them. And they couldn't verify these this information with dates of births and social security numbers. They made this move uh, this past summer, if I'm not mistaken, well, June or July, right? So if they announced it in 2015, this big lawsuit, but just this last summer, July 2017, it was made effective where they were going to remove, quote unquote, all this stuff. And we were like, what the heck? You mean there's not going to be any more judgments and tax liens on credit reports? Like, how is this going to work? Um, and what's it going to do to credit scores? I mean, technically... If you have judgments on your report and taxings on your report, it's killing your score. And sure. Magically in July, they disappear. Does that mean you get an inflated score? Like what's happening here? So we were really anxious to see, guys. We see credit reports by the hundreds every day. And I remember thinking back in September, like, I haven't seen a difference. 
mm. actually didn't there wasn't no like holy moly there's no more of this stuff on credit reports yeah no i remember we we're just having a discussion on that maybe a month or two ago and we were just discussing how yeah i mean i, I still see judgments i still see tax liens i still see bankruptcies on the credit reports and i think that th it's uh probably so you know going back just to clarify okay so they were going to not remove every single one of them. They were going to remove the ones that didn't meet the data integrity standards that they raised. So basically, if it doesn't have your your address and social security number tied to it, it's not going to report. Most judgments don't have that information tied to it. This so is true. then most judgments were removed, but not 100% of them. No. And the fear then is, and, and when we put it into perspective for everybody, does that mean that a consumer will then be able to go buy a house with a judgment on their name and then it won't show up on their credit report? I mean, technically, if you look at it on the surface, at face value, that is likely to happen. And a lot of lenders that we talk to that we work with in our, in, our, in our firm, they were kind of scared, like, okay, so now we can't see the judgment on the report. So we get them all the way through escrow right before closing, you know, title and escrow is going to find it. And then now we're going to have a problem on our hands and now we can't close escrow. It just happened to one of my clients. It just happened to one of my clients too. That actually <laughs> ended up, that's actually what ended up happening, how we ended up seeing it is now people were able to get further into the mortgage process and further into the real estate process and then finding out about a judgment after the fact or when it's too late. Guys, that's the worst time for you to find out about a judgment is when you're about to close because you have very little leverage to negotiate a good settlement. Your deposit is on the line. The home may be lost. I mean, it's it can be a nightmare. And if they end up saving the transaction, they end up charging a per diem for you know every day that you don't close after your scheduled close date. So it can be a very expensive situation that you get yourself into. So just because the judgment's cleared from your credit report doesn't mean it's cleared from public record databases. Mm -hmm. So they will find it. And, you know, obviously, uh, that's something that, as a consumer, you want to avoid. If there's a public record against you, you want to go out and research it yourself. You can do that by looking up your local recorder's office. Um, but it, this this here isn't just about having the tax liens or the public records removed because of inaccuracies. You know, there's a lot of other factors going into it, uh, a lot of other studies, such as, you know, how has this affected a consumer's credit score? Is the removal of these public records really making reports more accurate or is it helping consumers? That, you know, this is why I really like the CFPB. They actually do data studies on this and they, they released a study uh, just last week and it was a quarterly study on consumer trends focusing on the removal of civil public records from consumer reports. The study is very robust. It's very analytical. If you guys like this kind of stuff, you can find it on the CFPB website. But in a nutshell, the removal of public records had a very little effect on consumer credit scores. In fact, it's almost negligible. It is almost negligible. On credit scores, right? So, and that's interesting to note. And I, I think we can make a very good case as to why that happened which is basically most consumers that have public records on their credit reports have other negative items that are also bringing their score down. Absolutely. They, you know, they, chances are they have other collections. They have original charge-offs from, you know, the, the creditor who sued them. They, they have other derogatory entries. And the simple removal of one public record, maybe even two, isn't enough to bring them up to a different uh, tier for credit scoring. You know, the, the tiers are known as subprime, near prime prime or super prime. 
And so because of that, then on a, when you look at overall data, you really are not seeing a big shift in credit scores. It didn't. It doesn't mean that consumers just magically went up 30 points overnight. Now, in very isolated incidents, possibly that could have happened. But overall, it's really done nothing. No, it's done very little. Uh, I think I, I was reading one of the numbers and it was like 0.25% of consumers actually shifted, you know, tiers. Yeah. And, you know, the public records that report on credit reports are judgments, tax liens, and bankruptcies. Mm -hmm. Bankruptcies are pretty much unaffected because mm -hmm. all bankruptcies have a social security number tied to them. Yes. So those, if you had a bankruptcy, it's still under, it didn't go away. But a lot of judgments did go away. And a lot of tax liens did go away, but not all. No. Mainly state tax liens. Exactly. So, but if you owe money to the feds and they have a lien out against you, it's likely still on the report. Um, just um, IRS well, wants its money. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna get it. Um, but actually, um, in looking up the study for the show, Richard, I found out a few other things that that I kind of had forgotten. Okay. So one of their plans in this in this reform of data integrity that the bureaus um, did, which they did as a result of 30 state attorney generals suing them. So they didn't do it out of the kindness of their own hearts. <laughs> but uh, it's essentially they're raising the standard for data quality and accuracy and the medical debts. They decided won't be reported until after a 180 day waiting period to allow insurance payments to be applied. Mm -hmm. That means that the credit reporting agencies will also remove from credit reports previously reported medical collections that have been or are being paid by insurance. Now we are in practice every single day dealing with medical debts going on credit reports. It's this, actually the largest section of, of debts. This sounds good on the surface that they're gonna wait 180 days to report, but that's bull because they they wait 180 days pretty much anyways. Uh huh. So guys, if, if you owe money to a hospital, they're going to try to bill your insurance or try to collect from you for like three, four, five, six months before they send it to a third party debt collector. So by the time they get the account, it's already over six months most of the time. So they're going to credit report it anyways. And even if even if the collector had to wait 180 days, let's just assume that, you know, just for argument's sake, that this law is going to apply to collectors. Once you receive a medical debt, you can't credit report it for 180 days. Well, that's actually the worst thing in the world for the consumer. Uh, most insurance companies will deny claims after one year from the date of service. So if the original bill or the, the hospital, you know, couldn't get them to pay after six months, and then you can't, you don't even find out that it's a collection for another six months, well, the 12 months have already passed. By the time you find out, you can't even bill the insurance yourself. Now you're stuck with the debt. And it's very likely that after a six month period, you probably have switched insurance companies because most people, if they do end up switching, they, they switch during the open enrollment period. That's mm -hmm. once every 12 months. So it's very likely if they're waiting six months, that's gonna overlap. Medical bills are a big problem on credit reports. And this, even though it sounds good on the surface, really hasn't done much. Um, here's another highlighted point. It says consistent standards will be reinforced by the credit bureaus to lenders and others that submit data inclusion for a credit report. Meh, that sounds good too, but it doesn't mean much. Uh, but here's one that actually I liked, and, and I've actually noticed it, that the credit bureaus will eliminate the reporting of debts that did not arise from a contract or agreement mm. um, by the consumer to pay, such as traffic tickets or fines. So if the consumer didn't enter into a, an agreement saying, I'm going to borrow this money and pay you back, then it's not going to credit report like traffic tickets or fines, technically the consumer didn't enter into an agreement to make that payment. It's a fine. Um, 
So that's not going to be able to credit report. That's interesting because we did see a bunch of fines on credit reports before. And now when I think about it, I haven't I, seen one in a I, while. I was about to say the same thing. I, I'm just thinking about it from hearing you say that. I actually haven't seen one in about, you know, almost a year. And I used to see them all the time. Yeah. I actually think out of all these bullet points and about them eliminating all the public records, this is probably the most effective takeaway that they've done um, when it comes to fairness and accuracy on the credit report. Because technically they do report um, stuff that are contracts and agreements engaged by the consumer and traffic tickets or parking tickets and fines. You know, technically well, it, it's not that. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, just from a logical standpoint, you know, if you as a consumer borrow money from someone and fail to pay them back, uh, people should know about it. But if, you know, you got penalized uh, for a traffic ticket, I mean, that that's kind of a little too much information. And it's, it's messed up that your credit score should suffer for something that, you know, could be arbitrary, really. But if you do have, if you don't pay a, a fine, what happens? Well, if, if you, you don't court a fine for whatever reason, and then what happens if you don't pay the court? Well, if you don't pay the court, they'll send that account over to collections. To the in California, they send it to the franchise tax board, and that sure. technically gets filed as a lien. Sure. So then, so then, even though the court will sometimes send it to a debt collector, the debt collector is not allowed to credit report that. But if it ends up being filed as a lien with the state then now you have a whole much bigger problem. It doesn't mean you can ignore these things because it'll technically end up as a lien. Now the liens aren't allowed to be credit reported as often anymore. So we we have less liens being credit reported. But if you go buy a house, they'll find this lien. It's mm -hmm. gonna be, you know, filed at the recorder's office and before they can close, they'll find it and now you're now you're still stuck paying it. Trust me, they're finding liens that only don't even belong to you. I yeah. just had a client <laughs> who who had a who at the very end of his escrow I had a lead uh, tied to him because it had a social security number on it, but it wasn't even the individual. It was a different named party, someone who must have just either guessed a social security number or was using a, a fake social security number. They're going to find you. So don't avoid, you know, paying these tickets, take care of it, and then you won't have to worry about it. Let's tell that story a little bit because that that uh -huh. that is a, that is a crazy story. Um, it's not something we run across very often. And no. I don't think, I say this very proudly, I don't think anybody could have solved it in the time frame that you solved it in. You know, it was a really bad case. Um, this guy was, you know, and he's working with one of my lenders, very good friend, Brian Colebrook. Um, and uh, he's about to close his house. You know, they're, 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 Days deep away. In, yeah, deep, deep in escrow. And all of a sudden, you know, Brian calls me, hey, this is what's going on. You know, lean just popped up. Judgment popped up. Uh, but it's not his name. It's a different individual's name. But it has my borrower's social on it. And so, you know, I try to figure out what's going on here. We start looking at court records. We start pulling abstract of judgments. And sure enough, we found out different named individual only named defendant in the judgment, but the borrower social. So we start calling, uh, we try to attempt to call the law office who, you know, issued the judgment or, or filed for the judgment. It's now a defunct law office. They're nowhere to be found. So now I have to find, you know, the original creditor and we talk to the original creditor. We let him know what's going on. And the original creditor, I basically, after so much time spent said yeah we know it's not him but uh we're not gonna do anything about it so wow. how much was the debt um i don't remember it was in the several thousands so uh, it was a few thousand bucks oh it was like 
5000 at and least. And if it wasn't paid or satisfied, escrow wouldn't close. Like escrow the loan would wouldn't not fund. close. The loan would not fund. And obviously, we're not gonna. the client is not going to pay the money. It's several thousand dollars. They're not going to pay the money on debt they don't owe. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't get solved quickly, then they'll fall out of escrow and lose their home. And it gets worse because the the collector knows about this. They know that they're on the hook because they sued someone using a faulty social security number. They did not do their due diligence. They know that if he loses his home, they're, you know, he's going to come after them. And they still don't want to do anything about it. They, they went as far as to lie in every way, shape, and form that they had nothing to do with this. Even saying something silly as... Uh, we don't submit social security numbers or the courts don't issue social security numbers. I remember security. that call. And, and I think the crazy thing is, is we don't have time. We don't have time to play this dance with the debt collector no. of, no, you do this or you do that. Mm-hmm. So how did it end up, how did you end up solving it? So we finally, you know, I finally uh, advise the consumer, we can do an intent to file a lawsuit and we can contact the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and file a complaint. He opted to do both. Sure enough, as soon as the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau submitted the complaint to, to the collection agency, um, the collection C responded, we're going to vacate the judgment. That's so, right. Something that could have they could have easily done if they had just you know decided, okay, we're in the wrong here. But no, we had to take it all the way to the regulatory agency and actually threaten them in writing that we're going to sue you before they decided to actually do something about it. And it's just one of those things that if you didn't know that the CFPB is there, to try to help you with this stuff, you're you're gonna lose your escrow or you're gonna potentially pay something you don't owe to get your house. So I think that's where being an informed consumer, understanding the options that you have and having resources like the Extra Credit Show and even Innovative Credit Solutions or company and having all the right contacts can allow you to know what to do in case you get hit with a bullcrap email like this or you get hit with a crazy problem on a judgment that's not yours you know and and what really irked me about this whole situation is that their best response to the consumer was we want you to go to a location that's five hours away from you that's right to go tell a court or a recorder's office without any documentation from us we don't want to provide you with anything that this isn't you and convince them to take it off this thing was in another county five hours away and they wanted the consumer to go to the county to figure it out that would have been a giant waste of time of our consumers time so um that just a crazy crazy story we got we're full of those stories guys we'll be telling them oh yeah all day so uh, but that's about covers today's episode richard you got any last parting words i mean again um if you get a egregious call or you get a notification an email just like the one we're going to place up on our on our website for you don't immediately pay them Uh, it's a scare tactic think about it first or possibly even call a professional do some research don't just give in It, it, it may be a scam Yeah. In fact, that is probably going to be the extra credit task of the week, guys. Go on our website, read this email and share it with people that you know so that they don't fall victim to this scam. All right. So that's about it for this week's episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I am Anselmo Moreno. And I'm Richard David. We'll see you guys next time.